morning. And, um, you know, I, I set my alarm last night. I was exhausted. We had a long day yesterday. And uh, I set my alarm last night, and I woke up like an hour before my alarm, you know. And, and I thought, man, this is bad. <laughs> Why am I up so early? And I remembered something that I, that I heard in the past couple weeks, and it, it was uh, someone giving testimony about, you know, sometimes you wake up. Sometimes God wakes you up for a reason. And, uh, and I was thinking last night as I was going to bed, I thought, man, Lord, I, I need you to speak to me. And so this morning when I woke up and I was so tired, I, I had this thought. I remembered, and I thought, maybe he has something to say to me. So I said, all right, God, I'm awake. I'm awake. And in that moment, he began to, to, to just kind of open up the scripture that, that I've been studying for today. And, and he gave me, you know, I already had, like, this is what we're going to talk about this morning. But he gave me new insight, a different angle, right? And that's so amazing about God's word. It's alive. And I thought, wow, God, I didn't see that before. I didn't see that this past week. And so I'm excited to, to share, you know, what God has been doing in my life um, and, uh, you know, before we get into that, I, I get so excited. We should just, uh, let's continue to pray. And, you know, we're praying all the time. It's so good. We're talking to our Lord. So dear Lord, I thank you for today. Oh God, I thank you that you are so active in our lives. Whether I'm sleeping or, or awake or tired, happy, sad, Lord, you're there. Thank you that you are so present with us. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We say, please come fill this place. Open up your word to us that, that we might be able to hear that this may be alive and fresh. You would guide us and direct us closer and closer to you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So my name is Phil. Uh, you know, I'm one of the pastors here. It's my joy to be able to serve uh, with you and uh, and to serve you uh, as well. And and you know, this this year, uh, we are just going to go through the Gospel of Luke. Last year for Advent, we we started in Luke, and we thought, man, this is so great. Let's just keep doing it. So we're going to do it this whole year. We're just going through the Gospel of Luke. And if you're with us uh, late last year, you know that Luke is a doctor. He's an educated man, and here he is, this book, he's writing to this man, Theophilus. And, uh, you know, he's writing to Theophilus, he's trying to tell him, hey, you know what, a lot of people have been talking about Jesus. They've given this account, they've shared about his life. I'm going to do that too. And these are the things that I think are important for you to know. And and in this, he, he starts way back, he, he uh, you know, is going through the history of Jesus his cousin John, who we know comes before Jesus. And, and today we get to see some of what we talked about last year really kind of grow up and really come to its purpose. So as a refresher, if you have your, your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 1. Uh, just a, a very brief summary. We, we remember that there was Elizabeth, who was Mary's cousin, and we have Zechariah. Her husband, Zechariah, was a priest, and they were both very old, right? Beyond an age where they would have thought, oh, we're going to have kids. It was like 
no, we're, we're not having children. That's just what God has for us, but it's okay. And, and here, they have a visitation from an angel that says, you know what? You're going to have a child. You're going to have a son. And you're supposed to name him John. And he is going to be this amazing man. He's going to be this person who is preparing the way for the Lord, right? And so Luke 1, 57 to 80, you can join me. Um, I don't know if we have the whole thing, but uh, I'm going to read this and you follow along where you have it. It says, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. That was the custom, right? Last week, Pastor Toby talked about the dedication of Jesus and how they brought him and they named him. They told everyone, hey, our son's name is going to be Jesus. And that's where we find Elizabeth and Zechariah. They're bringing their child to be named. But when the angel came to Zechariah and said, hey, you're going to have this child. He had doubts, right? He was like, are you serious? Do you know how old my wife is? Do you know how old I am? There's no way, right? And right then, he was silenced. And so he lost his voice. He couldn't speak. So this whole time, he's a, this priest in service, and he can't speak. Can you imagine, uh, you know, Pastor Toby not being able to speak? Like he's, you know, they're expecting their third child right now, and you go up to him, hey, man, Toby, I'm having some trouble. And he's like, they're like, yeah, you know, I need some advice. And he's just write, writing things down, right? And that's what happened to Zechariah. He just lost his voice. And so the people are expecting, hey, you're going to name him Zechariah, right? And so on this eighth day, when they bring him before them, the mother, Elizabeth, she spoke up and she said, no, he is to be called John. And they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe. Right? They, they had experienced that. Man, this guy, Zachariah, he hasn't been able to talk. And all of a sudden, here it is again. Right? And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered, uh, everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? Like, what? Man, this, this is going to be something. This is kind of weird. What's going to go on with this child? I wonder. And it says, what? then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied. He, he was speaking over his son. He said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he had said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, 
For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. That's you know, where that story kind of stopped, and then we, we went into the, the story of Jesus, right? But it's kind of a crazy ending, right? It says, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Now, John was a wild dude, right? He was just out there in the wilderness, you know, eating, like, whatever he can find, right? He was not a guy you'd be like, hey, it looks like a nice guy. Let's go hang out. You know, you're like, whoa, what's going on with that guy, right? He is something to see. He's just out there, right? But he's dedicated to the Lord. He's focused on God. And this brings us to today's scripture, and we're in Luke chapter 3. So Luke chapter 3, 1 to 20, and we get to see... This wild man that was out in the wilderness, dedicated to God. Now we get to see, okay, what does become of this man? What happens? What does he do with his life? So Luke 3. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria, and and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. So there's some things that I, I think we, we need to kind of pause and, and, and notice. Uh, John, we know he is uh, a doctor. He is uh, very specific in the things he wants to share uh, with Theophilus, right? And, and, you know, he gives a pretty, pretty uh, good way of saying, you know, this is the time. This is the time in history. He, he says these, all these different people are in power. So I think historically, he shows us, hey, this is a time, right? Like, like maybe, you know, Gary is, is writing about, hey, I led worship today, and it was a time when, when Donald Trump was president and Pastor Toby was the lead pastor of Orange Coast and, you know, Pastor Phil was giving a sermon and he's giving all these statements so that people know, okay, I know what time that is. I know what place of history that is, right? But I find it interesting that not only is he giving that, that place in history, but he's mentioning these powerful people, these people of extreme, extreme influence, power in both the secular and religious world where you have uh, Tiberius Caesar, you have Pilate that we, that we know that Jesus comes before later. We have um, these high priests, Annas and Caiaphas, their father and son-in-law. And, you know, we know that, that that's who Jesus is brought before when, when he's put on trial, right? But these people, they're corrupt. The high priests, they're supposed to be these religious leaders, but they're corrupt. You know, they're making money off of the church. 
you know, as a kind of shady business. And that's where Jesus goes and he's overturning the temple courts. And and that's the family who he's, he's going against. That's who he is upsetting when he's doing that, right? But the thing is, these are important people. Like, these are people that if you're going to say, hey, God is going to speak to them and turn things around, and he's going he's to give them this inf- important information to save his people, it would make sense to give it to someone important, right? But we see in verse 2, it says, The word of God came to John, wild man in the wilderness, son of Zechariah, right? And when the word of God came upon, he came to him, right? It wasn't so much that it just came like he was like, oh, that's cool. I like that. That's good information. But it was like the word of God came upon him. Like a force that was on top of him or pushing him forward. He couldn't help but react to that. He couldn't help but share it. It was heavy on him that, that here he is dedicated out in the wilderness and then God speaks into him, fills him, and he has to share. And so I think we begin to see that there's this man who is so dedicated that you can see him and say, man, that's a wild guy out there. And now, now he receives this word from God that he has to, that he is compelled to share. So even more, we will see this. He's just out there, right? And it's a powerful message because in Israel's history or in, in the people's history, you know, they had all these prophets that, that spoke God's word to them. And for 400 years, there's been silence. There has been no prophets. There's been silence. And now the word of God comes to John. Verse 4, it says, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for Him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight. The, road was road, the rough way is smooth. And all people, all people will see God's salvation. Do you catch that? I mean, it's saying prepare the way and all these things, they're just brought flat. They're brought to be easy. They're brought to be, you know, straight. The valley filled in, mountain made low, crooked roads become straight. The rough things become smooth. Rough things become smooth. You know, I've been, uh, you know, Gary mentioned about New Year's resolutions, and, and, and many of us have these goals and things that we think, oh, it's a new year, new me, let's, let's you know, do something different. And, and the rough things made smooth, and, and one of my goals was to, uh, you know, get in, in better physical shape. I shared with you at the beginning of the year, one of my other goals is to be more positive in general and to say yes more, you know, to my family, to others, to uh, just have a, a better attitude about, about, you know, everything, I guess. Uh, but, you know, in, in that kind of fitness journey, as I've dropped um, 33 pounds in the last 
three, three and a half months. Um, you know, a big thing has been just, you know, me focusing not so much just on the weight, but, you know, how is my athletic performance? How am I getting better? But along with that, I've been learning, like, a lot of things that I've never dealt with before. Uh, this is the second time. I don't know if you can even see my hand. I ripped off a callus uh, because I, I knew I was supposed to make these rough calluses, kind of sand them down, because if they get too thick, then it can just peel, tear off. And so doing too many pull-ups and stuff, it, it just tore off a couple days ago. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, now, now, you know, now my hand hurts all the time. But there's just these things that, that in my life, as I have many years set that resolution of, you know what, I'm going to lose some pounds. I want to get in better shape. I want to, you know, do these things. Until this year, I never really thought, like, why? Have you ever thought about, like, why? Like, what is the real goal? Because if you find yourself in the gym or you find yourself eating spe- you know, specific foods, you're, you're thinking, i got to lose weight, have you ever thought to, to yourself, you know, why? You're saying, oh, well, to lose weight. No, why? Is it because you're not happy with your, your appearance? When you look in the mirror, you're not happy about how you look? Is it because when you play sports, you find yourself out of breath and, and you can't, you know, perform the way that you used to when you were younger? Is it because you just feel like, you know, I should? Because, you know, my doctor keeps telling me, hey, you're, you're getting, you're right on the line, you got to watch out. Is it because I, I do have a health problem and I really need to take care of my, you know, what is the reason why? Because I can tell you from experience, if you just go into it just saying, ah, well, I think I'm supposed to, or I should, or then you will find yourself in the middle of those things that you need to do when you're at the gym or you're trying to eat better or you're doing something that you don't really want to do and you won't have the motivation. And you'll just be like, I don't even know why I'm doing this. I, I don't know. What am I even trying to accomplish? And I believe that's why I've personally failed so many times you know, with my resolutions, and maybe you have too, is because we thought we defined a goal or a resolution or a target to hit, but actually, in reality, we really had no idea. And so we're almost set up to fail. You know, I had an idea, and, and uh, these guys don't really know what's going on, but I know they're, they're, they're good sports. And, um, and so, DeAnthony, my, my friend, can you come up here? I need an example. None better than you and uh, Neil. And um, don't worry, dude. Don't worry. He's a good guy. You guys going to talk to him afterwards. Uh, but you know what I love about DeAnthony is is he's so friendly and um, you know he I I just want to get to know him better, right? And Neil, he's also that way. But for today's example, he, he won't be. Okay, so come on over here, Neil. So DeAnthony. How's it going? Good. You doing all right, man? Yeah. It works all right? All right, man. Come on. Hey, oh, man. It's so good to see you. Man. Good to see you, too. I, I'm just so glad that... Oh, man. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm, I'm here. Oh, man, what... <laughs> Dude, this week. You got a big week coming up? Yeah, I got a I'm like, oh. Man. All right. Thank you. Guys, give these guys a hand. Thank you. He had no idea this was going on.
see, what happens is that, is that we have things that get in the way, right? And if it happens enough, then what, what I tend to do is I focus on the distraction. And I think, man, this guy, Neil, he's a problem. And so I'm just waiting for him to come back, and I push him out of the way. And I'm thinking, when's Neil going to pop in? When's Neil going to pop in? When's Neil? And I push him away. And eventually, if that happens enough, it's easy to forget that, hey, my goal was to talk to my friend DeAnthony. And instead, all I focus on is this punk Neil that just keeps coming in and different ways I can get him out of the way, right? And when is he going to come back? And why is he doing this? And, and man, he's pretty strong, so he's kind of hard to move, you know? Um, and, and all these things, and we just, our focus changes, right? And then, at some point, I didn't want to take too long, but at some point, I would say, you know what? It's too much work to move Neil. You know, it's too much effort. It's okay, I'll just leave him there. And I'll just talk to you guys, right? And then my friend DeAnthony would just be standing there, kind of moving his head around, trying to get by, right? And I'd leave him alone. We have the people of God. They've been waiting. They've been in relationship with the Lord. They've been yearning for, uh, you know, a word from him. 400 years, it's been silent. They haven't been having a great time. They've been under oppression. And now there's this man in the wilderness, John, who has this radical message, empowered by God. And so people are excited. They're going out of their way to hear what he has to say. It's like someone coming into a church, finally, after many years of thinking, I can't go to church. Or I kind of, I'm interested, but nah, I'm too much of a sinner. I can't, I can't go. I don't feel comfortable. I'm not going to be welcome. I'm whatever. And they come into church. And they're met, can you imagine? They're met by John. And, and as these people are coming, they're flocking to him in the wilderness. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brought of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. When we look at some of the other Gospels, like Matthew, he, he says that John says this when these religious leaders come, right? When these people that are these, these look up to, these holy people that are respected in the church, these leaders come, and John just sees them and he yells out, Basically saying, wow, you children of Satan, who warned you to come and, and, and repent? Who told you that there was something wrong? What are you doing here? Like, how amazing is that, that, that you, all you such evil people, you're coming to be saved? I mean, if I was one of those people, I'd be like, this is not the right church for me, right? I'd be like, this is not the place I want to be at. Immediately... You know, I'd be like, are you serious? Like, I came because I felt moved to find out what you're saying, and, and you're just calling me out, right? 
I think many of us would have those similar reactions. Or maybe you just think, oh, man, I, I, I am bad. I can't. And maybe you'd implode. Maybe you'd be furious, right? But I believe that it's because this is the word of God that his spirit is there. That it goes beyond just this, this kind of logical thinking of, of even John as this wild man for, with crazy words. For some reason, it's just the message of God gets through and it hits these people. And instead of just reacting and saying, are you kidding me? You're calling us vipers. You're calling us snakes. Like we're, we're children of Satan. You're, you're, they just say, oh my goodness. What should we do? Like, okay, we are sinners. What should we do? What should we do? And John answered them, saying, Anyone who has two shirts should share the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Now in here, I, I think that it's interesting that, that we have separation, silence from God, and all of a sudden here we know Messiah is coming, but before the Messiah there's going to be John. He's this prophet that is going to prepare the way. He's going to make things straight, right? And what is his message? John's message is repentance, to change, to turn away from the way you're living and to go towards God. And I found it interesting that, that I think you, you guys read through this this week, but I, I, thought, I saw three very uh, clear things that he's saying you need to repent from. One of them is definitely an issue with the love of money. All those leaders that he talked about, they all had wealth. They all had wealth from unrighteous ways. Right? And when he interacts with the people, who does he dress? With the tax collectors and the shoulder, the soldiers? He's basically saying, be content with what you have, with what you're supposed to have, with what your wages are. Because what they would do is... You know, if I was a tax collector and I and I said looked it up and I said, "Oh, you know, Joseph, you owe, you know, 50 dollars," $50, and I'd say, "Oh, actually, you owe seventy-five dollars," 
right? And I keep 25, and the government gets 50. And that type of thing, like they had that power, right? And the soldiers, they could say, hey, give me money, or you're going to go to jail, right? They say, you're not going to pay? Hey, this guy, he attacked me. You know, you, yeah, you attack the police, oh, you're going to jail, right? I mean, they had the power, and it was the abuse of power that gave them wealth. The high priests, they were making money selling the sacrifices and doing other things, you know, in the temple. And so there was this abuse because of the love of money. We also see at the very end, it says, when John rebuked Herod, right? And, and John knew what he was getting into. Don't, don't think he, I mean, he's a wild guy, but, but there is a boldness. And he knew that, hey, it's not good to go against him. It's not going to be good. Like, it was either that God was going to do a miracle or he was going to die, right? And, and yet he had that boldness. And so he rebuked him. He called him out. And he said, you know, all these things you're doing wrong. You're married to your brother's wife? Like, what, what is going on? Like, you're having all these sexual sins. And because of that, he gets locked out. Of, eventually, he does die, right? Those two things are huge. And, and throughout the Bible, they're the most talked about topics, about, you know, issues with the love of money. Not money itself, but the love of money, sexual sin, chasing after pleasure, Right? And John comes and he's calling the people to repentance. But I think there's, there's also a, another important thing that, that he talks about. And, and I think that's something that, that I see is very prevalent in our society. It's kind of a hot topic as far as like an, a problem, you know, in, in today, uh, today's culture. And um, I heard an example that, that when I give it, then I think you'll understand what I'm talking about. I heard an example about... Um, it, there's a, a pastor who's saying that, that, you know, his wife is in HR, and she has these crazy stories that she would tell him from time to time. And he said, man, you know, she was telling me about this interview she had. And so she's interviewing this young man for a job, and he has his resume. He has all these great qualifications. And five minutes in their interview, she just tells him, you know what, the interview's over. Uh, it, it's, it's done. You can leave now. And he's kind of like, what? Like, it's only been five minutes. You, you know, you told me this interview was going to be 40 minutes to make sure I blocked off that time, and we're going to go through all these things. It's only five minutes in, and you're telling me that that's it? You're, you're not interested in going farther and, you know, with this interview with me? And she says, the whole time I've been talking to you, you've been texting on your phone. You're not going to be right for this job. And he's like, oh, it's ridiculous. Don't you see my qualification? You know, whatever. And he leaves. And she said, later that day, his mother called and said, do you know what a mistake you made? Like, he is a great young man. He has all these qualifications. And she just said, oh, this is crazy, right? This is crazy. And I think that's something that, that we hear about a lot with, you know, millennials. And we say, oh, they're so entitled. It's this problem with entitlement. They think that they deserve things, right? Remember the first people that, that Luke mentions this interaction with? These leaders, or in, in Luke's gospel, we don't even hear that they're the religious leaders. We just know that, uh, you know, there are these people in the crowd 
that they are saying, we know that they're these, you know, the Jewish people. They're, they're sons of Abraham. And, and so they come to him, and he calls them out. Man, you guys are so messed up. I'm surprised you're here, you know. And then he says, do you think it's enough that you're sons of Abraham? Because that was their entitlement. They were thinking, hey, look at our lineage. Look at our forefathers. God made a covenant promise to Abraham that his children would be this great nation. That there would be God's promise and protection over them. And so they said, hey, we're good. We're good. We're descendants of Abraham. They have that entitlement. And John calls them out and he says, you think that makes you special that you're sons of Abraham? That God made a promise to Abraham? God could still keep his promise to Abraham. He could do whatever he wants. He could bring up descendants from these stones. That is not going to save you. What's going to save you is the fruit of your life. How are you living? How are you living as sons of Abraham who have this covenant with God? How are you living? That becomes the core of Paul's theology as we read through uh, you know, Acts and Romans and we, and, and we hear about you know, the early church and, and all the different epistles. We hear Paul's heart uh, and the early church's theology you know, from, from Luke as well that, that it's, it's, it's not about your background, your family, that, hey, you're fifth-generation Christian. It doesn't matter. It matters what is your relationship with God. And that brought me back to, to the example with Neil and with D'Anthony. Because I think with something like this, like with resolutions, with, you know, being a Christian, I think, oh, repentance, I think, oh, stop sinning. I think of removing this obstacle out of my life so I can get to God. And, I, and, and what happens, I think, a lot of times is, is, like I mentioned, we get so focused on removing the obstacle. We say, we hear the message, repentance, turn away from sin, stop sinning. Don't, you know, that it becomes, uh, my whole existence is, I don't want to sin. I don't want to sin. I don't want to sin. And we start to manage that sin. We start to say, how can I not sin? How can I not sin? How can I not sin? In, in, in this example, how can I move this person out of the way? How can I move him out of the way? When is he coming back? What is? And we lose sight of what the whole point is. And that's relationship. These people were separated in the relationship with God. They were separated in the relationship with God. John comes and he tells them, do you want to remove that barrier that is keeping you separated in your relationship? Do you want to remove this obstacle? Like, I want to shake my friend DeAnthony's hand. I can't because Neil is in the way. Do you want to make that possible? Repentance does that. Turning from your sin, that does that. Not for the sake of just turning from your sin, but so that we are able to have relationship with God. So today, I, I think these things that are called out is absolutely love of money, issues with that, sexual sin, issues with that, entitlement, 
And don't think that, hey, you know what? I'm not a millennial. I don't have issues with entitlement. You probably do, right? But maybe you, you don't feel like you're under this blanket of, oh, I feel this general sense of entitlement. But we have these kind of these, these special areas, right? I heard of a conversation with a taxi driver. And he, he was asked, hey, what is the most frustrating thing to you as a taxi driver? And he said, you know what? It's that people, they go by me, they honk, they move, they, they go all around me, they act like they have somewhere to go, and I'm in the way. And he said, we're all on the road. We all have somewhere to go, right? And that hit me, because sometimes that's me. I'm like, why are you going so slow? Like, what, 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 is, ha- what is going on? Like, why... Are you cutting me off? You know, why is it, you know, and, and, you know, it's like, I'm in a rush. I got to go, right? Maybe we don't feel this general entitlement, but I'll bet that we have areas where we feel like, you know what? I deserve to have the path straight ahead of me. I've done enough work. I don't need to work in this area anymore. I deserve to have an easy ride. I deserve to, to just be given this thing. Entitlement, I believe, is, is a new thing that has really been, been increasing and, and coming in between us in our relationship with God. It's been crippling us in a lot of ways. And so I'll give you four things. I know, I know we, have, we do have some note takers. They, they told me themselves, hey, I'm taking notes. Um, and uh, four things from Dr. John Townsend, who has written a book about uh, you know, getting over entitlement and and four things is, is number one is change your I deserve thoughts. Like, I deserve to be treated this way. I deserve for you to move out of my way when I'm driving and late to work or whatever. I deserve that feeling and change it to I am responsible. Like, instead of, you know, I deserve to get a new car. It's I'm responsible to work hard, save my money, and to be able to purchase that car. Number two is do the hard things first. As a parent, I don't even know why. I guess it makes sense, but I just do it because my initially I think my parents told me, it's like you tell your kids, hey, eat your vegetables up before the dessert, right? What parents in here said, oh, no, eat your ice cream first and then eat your broccoli? Probably no one, right? If, if you do, come in for counseling. We'll, we'll talk <laughs> later, right? But it's this, this idea that you do the hard things first. I saw some interviews with a bunch of, of you know, really uh, successful businessmen. And when they were asked a question about how is your morning, the majority of them responded, it was hard. It was very rough. I had all these things. And they listed them out. And they said, oh, how was your afternoon? And I said, oh, it was great. You know, I got to do this, and, and I had this meeting, and these were things I'm passionate about. And, and what they found was they did the hard things first and then did the things that they really enjoyed. In school, we call that procrastination. You keep putting off your homework, and you're playing video games or whatever you're doing, right? You do the hard things first. Number three is keep inconvenient commitments. I can't tell you how many times, you know, people have flaked on me 
you know, for, you know, we set a, a, a you know, a date to, to hang out or to go to lunch or something, uh, especially young people. Um, and, and then later I found out, oh, they were doing something else because it was more fun, you know, because it was more convenient, because it was easier. Our world, our peace around us is, is based upon commitment, right? Commitment to, to uphold borders, commitment to obey laws, commitment to do the things that we say we're going to do. So keep inconvenient commitments if you want to end entitlement. And number four is engage in service. You know, they say it's, it's, you know, it's better to give than receive. Well, something happens when you give, when you help someone out. Maybe you've experienced this. It feels good. I don't know why. It feels good. It's built into us. God put that maybe in our physiology that when we help someone out, it actually releases a reaction in our body that's like, man, that felt good. That felt awesome to help that person out. That felt great to serve in that way. It's naturally built into us. Engage in service, and that will help kill the entitlement in your life. So we'll end there. Um, Let's go to the weekly challenge. The reason why we do this every week is because if whatever we say, I mean, one, if you don't hear it, you don't remember it, then it doesn't matter. But two, if it doesn't move you to action, what's the point, right? What is the point of interacting with God's word if it doesn't drive you to know him better, if it doesn't move you to, you know, to go closer to him and to live out in this world? And so we say, weekly challenge, no. Read Luke 1, uh, 3, 1 through 20. I encourage you to consider what John is encouraging the people to turn away from. What is he calling them to repent from? Right and, uh, and and just like what are those other themes? Because there's I'm sure there's more that I, I'm not talking about today. Right, grow. What do you think John would call you to turn from if you walked up and he was going to call you out from the crowd? <laughs> what would he say to you? You know what is the thing that you need to to repent from? Think about that. Right. And then overflow, I, 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 sh- I say, you know what, write it down. Set it in your, in your phone, in your appointment book, whatever. Serve someone this coming week. Maybe you just say, God, I'm available. Send someone before me that I can serve and, and look for that opportunity. Or schedule it in. Say, you know what, I'm going to help this person on this day. Remember that, that repentance is a, a call to act. Right. Let's end with that. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that you woke me up this morning and you really spoke to me, telling me that, that I had been missing the whole point. That in my life, as I have approached this new year and, and set beside, you know, before me goals, you know, for my general health, but also for my spiritual life, that I said, you know what, I want to get close, closer to you, Lord. And for me, a lot of that was focusing on the areas that I had messed up, that I knew I was being called to repentance, that I said, you know, I'm going to not do these things. I'm going to stop doing those things. I'm going to stop thinking that way. That even when I succeeded and I didn't do those things, I missed the whole point. 
And that was that I was supposed to clear obstacles that stood in the way of me growing closer to you. And so, Lord, this morning, I, I, I feel that you have this invitation like you always do, that you have open arms, that you're waiting for just a warm embrace with your child, that you want to take us in. But we often find ourselves reluctant. We find ourselves blocked. We find ourselves unable to fully come to you because we're held back. We're separated by our sin. So, Lord, this morning, it's my prayer that each and every one of us would know, would know how much you care for us, how much you love us, how much you desire to be close to us, that we would realize that it is our sin that separates. And yet that's not the focus of our life. The focus of our life is not to just stop sinning, no. But it's to know you deeper to grow closer to you to be your friend so Lord we pray blessing over each person here we pray that you would grow us closer to you you would show us the the way to your heart and God let us be your people in the world let us be people of impact people of action people that share your love and bring others into your family. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Phil. Shall we all stand as we close this time once again and just praise and worship to him and the song, actually, I think Caroline uh, introduced it to us a couple of months ago. And I just want this to be just truly the prayer of your heart, a response to him today, to the message.